Now, can someone tell me why in 1975 we pulled our troops out of Vietnam? The failure of Vietnamization to win popular support caused an ongoing erosion of confidence in the various American but illegal Saigon regimes. Is she right? Because I know that's the popular version of what went on there. I know a lot of people like to believe that. I wish I could, but I was there. I wasn't here in a classroom, hoping I was right, thinking about it. I was up to my knees in rice paddies with guns and Edward going up against Charlie, slugging it out with him, while pussies like you were back here partying, putting headbands on, doing drugs, listening to the goddamn Beatle albums. Oh, oh. On April 10th, 1992, Sam Kinison, the volatile comedian best known for screaming, foul-mouthed rants in his sets and on the big screen, was driving across the desert from Los Angeles in his Pontiac Trans Am on Needles Highway with his new wife, Malika Suri. The comedian was heading to a sold-out show at the Riverside Casino in Laughlin, Nevada, and appeared to be getting his career back on track. Kinison actually got a relatively late start in the industry, having been a Pentecostal preacher for several years before trying his hand at stand-up comedy. But once he made his national debut on HBO's Young Comedian special in 1985, he quickly rocketed to fame with a couple gold albums, roles in 80s comedies like Back to School, frequent spots on late-night television, and appearances that hauled in up to $50,000 per night. But his amped-up stage persona was matched, if not exceeded, by his real-life penchant for indulging in drugs, alcohol, and other trappings of success. But he seemed to be riding the ship by the early 90s, curtailing his excessive habits and working on a two-picture deal with New Line Cinema and developing a variety show for Fox. And his personal life seemed to be mellowing him out a bit too, as the comedian appeared by all accounts to be smitten with the then 27-year-old Malika. On the other side of the highway, 17-year-old Troy Pearson was driving his pickup truck. According to the authorities, Pearson had been drinking prior to getting behind the wheel and was in no condition to drive. Cops say the young man was anxious to get around the driver in front of him and cross the center line to try to pass him. During the risky maneuver, he temporarily swerved into Kinnison's lane, causing Kinnison to slam on his brakes. The accident report indicates that Kinnison had slowed his vehicle to around 15 miles per hour at the time of impact, but it wasn't enough. The truck ended up striking Kinnison's car in a vicious head-on collision. When the cars finally came to a rest, Pearson jumped out of his vehicle and reportedly exclaimed, Look at my truck! Kinnison stumbled after the crash, but then collapsed unconscious between the seats. By the time the paramedics arrived, he was gone. Sam Kinnison was just 38 years old. I'm Derek Kaufman. I'm Jason Beckerman. And this is Last Days. Sam Kinnison. Kinnison had not been wearing a seatbelt at the time of the crash, and the accident report indicated that his head smashed the windshield. The windshield was shattered, and the steering wheel had broken off from the impact. His wife Malika sustained minor injuries, including a concussion, but was treated and later released from a local hospital in Needles. The autopsy revealed that Kinnison sustained multiple traumatic injuries during the crash, including a dislocation of the cervical spine, a torn aorta, torn blood vessels in his abdominal cavity, and other blunt force injuries that resulted in his death just a few minutes after the impact. His best friend and opening act, Carl Lebove, who showed up at the scene of the accident, said he cradled his friend and heard his last words. 
And when I got to the car, Sam's body was laying across the middle. And that's when I noticed that just the steering column was there. He had taken out the steering wheel with his chest and he had hit into the windshield. So he had a little blood on his forehead, a little blood out of his nose, and he was just taking deep breaths. And I said, don't move, buddy, don't move. And then he forced himself out of the car and landed on me, and I fell to protect him. And I was on my butt, and he was laid across my arms, and he was looking up, and he started talking to whoever was there that he saw, and he was going, I don't want to die. I don't want to die now. And, I, and I, I said, you're not going to die, man, I got you. And then it dawned on me that he wasn't there, that he was seeing somebody. He goes, I don't want to die now. But why now? Oh. His eyes shut and I felt him go right through my face. But it wasn't until someone came up and, and shook me and said, how's he doing? And then I realized that he's gone. He's gone. And after that, then time turned back into time. Now, Jason, given Kinnison's track record of drug and alcohol abuse, it's worth noting the toxicology report did come back positive for Valium, Xanax, codeine, and a metabolite of cocaine. But based on the circumstances of the collision, the accident appeared to be entirely the fault of the pickup driver. That pickup driver, Troy Pearson, as we mentioned, eventually did plead guilty to one count of vehicular manslaughter with gross negligence, and Pearson's license was suspended for two years, and he was sentenced to one year of probation and 300 hours of community service. But I wanted to bring it up because it's almost like a Mandela effect. You know what a Mandela effect is where there's a popular misconception that exists in the world. And to me, researching this episode, that really exists with Sam Kinison, who I was aware of, but had assumed he died because of his excesses, because of his drug addiction. Yeah, guilty and it has charged. nothing to do so with it. So when, you, when we mentioned we, we get together, we do lists of who we're going to cover. One of those people, Sam Kinison, both you and I really liked him. He was coming into his own right when I was a kid and I was really into comedy. So I really grew to love that guy as his comedian. But even that, and I, I, now that we mentioned it, I remembered the stories of this happening. But in my mind's eye, in my recollection, he had died of a drug overdose because we all knew how much he struggled throughout the 80s with, with addiction. He talked about it on stage. It was fa- he was famously doing rehab stints all the time. And his whole persona his on whole stage persona, with the bandana, right. the screaming, he seemed coked up. And yes. so he seemed and he like was a coked was on up. the edge. And he was coked up. So you just yeah. connected those dots and said, oh, he must have lived fast, died, died young. And, and the, the truth is that he, you know, in the irony or the tragedy of it all, is that he was actually killed by somebody who was intoxicated at the time. It, it, it really is the ultimate tragedy of the whole thing. Uh, we'll come back in a minute and we'll talk about uh, Sam's legacy. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. 
Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Knissen's death immediately reverberated throughout the world of comedy, which is tough and competitive, but surprisingly close-knit. Comedians, particularly stand-up comedians, really do see themselves as part of a tightly connected community of misfits, and Sam was certainly part of that community. The legendary comedian George Carlin dedicated his eighth HBO special, Jammin' in New York, to Kinnison's memory. Just over a year later, Fox aired a special tribute show to Kinnison that contained performances from the brightest stars in the comedy world at the time, including Robin Williams, Rodney Dangerfield, and Jim Carrey. You hear these names and you hear Kinnison's. Uh, George Carlin obviously well before, got famous well before Kinnison. You can see the similarities in the styles, right? Absolutely. The over-the-top kind of stuff. Rodney Dangerfield, another guy. I mean, so Kinnison, the, the over-the-top antics. They didn't scream like he did. That's reserved for Dice Clay, who comes later and st- stood on the shoulders of, uh, of Sam, for sure. Absolutely. But those sort of, the, 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 the manicness, the antics, the, the onstage sort of, you're running back and forth, that's all, you know, takes, takes off of Carlin, takes off of Dangerfield, right to Kinnison and then, and then Dice Clay. Absolutely. And I wanted to mention that that Fox special where you had Robin Williams, Rodney, uh, Jim Carrey, to, to situate Sam Kinnison in that lineage, because I think he's been a little bit lost to time. You know, he died in the early 90s. There was no TMZ. There were no outlets like yeah. that to really raise the profile of someone like Sam Kinnison. But he existed as a peer of those greats. Yeah. And so if he had lived long enough, he would be talked about in, in kind of the same terms as died, a Robin Williams. Died such a young man. He hadn't had a chance to cement that legacy. You know, it was it was sort of that Seinfeld era where he got into, into comedy television and, and comedians did and then went on to movies. And Kinnison was just at the at, at the cusp of that. He did back to school. He was great in that. And then, yep. you know, and then he's going to go further. And I think he could have followed that same sort of danger field kind of career path where he got really big in movies, but the tragedy struck. I think that's right. You know, there are a lot of comedians and, and the vast majority of them wallow in obscurity. They toil in these dimly lit comedy clubs. They never get their big break. But Kinnison was a rock star through and through. So, you know, what made him different in the comedy world? I think it all started from his humble beginnings in Yakima, Washington. He was born in 1953 and was the son of a Pentecostal preacher. The family moved to Illinois when Sam was just three months old, and his father served as a pastor at several local churches and barely made enough money to support the family. Kinnison and his three brothers would emulate their father by becoming Pentecostal preachers themselves, and Sam even attended Pinecrest Bible Training Center in New York. Kinnison, and I didn't know this about him, Jason, actually practiced as a preacher for seven years from ages 17 to 24, and there are old recordings of his sermons that reveal the sort of fire and brimstone style that he would later use in his comedic rants on stage. Here's one of them. I've done it, brother. I've done it. I've screamed at God at the top of my lungs because that's how much I believe in him. Amen. That's how personal I feel like my relationship is. If I can't be myself with the Father, then I'm going to stop preaching this gospel. But he never really made much money from the church circuit and ended up abandoning preaching for stand-up comedy after divorcing his first wife, Patricia Atkins, in 1980. 
So by the early 1980s, Kennison developed his craft at small comedy clubs in Houston, Texas, and became part of a group called the Texas Outlaw Comics, which included other up-and-comers like Bill Hicks and Ron Schock. Hicks, who became a successful comedian in his own right, cited Kinnison as one of his major influences, noting that Kinnison, quote, was the first guy I ever saw go on stage and not in any way ask the audience to like him. He was confrontational and raw, and his screaming rants quickly became his signature stage persona. Thank you very much. Hello, London. How are you? Maybe you feel welcome. Thank you. My name is Sam Kinnison, and I like to do this to mic stands. Uh, just to see if it is live. I'm a little different than the other comics you're going to see and uh, the other comedy. The difference between me and uh, them is that you might want to see them again sometime. <laughs> because I don't have an act. I don't have a home. I don't have a car. I didn't eat yesterday. I had to borrow these clothes. She took it all! <laughs> I was married for two years! I don't need someone but a primal scream! Ah! Uh, ah! Uh! Sam's big break came on HBO's Rodney Dangerfield's ninth annual Young Comedian special in 1985. Here's a clip, but a word of warning. It's offensive right off the bat, uh, but I think it's important to Kinnison's story to hear how he sounded like a fully developed persona from the moment he grabbed the mic. In that screaming, ranting uh, sort of stage presence was there right from the beginning. Well, I'm sorry I'm late. I was supposed to be here a little earlier, but uh, I spent the last two hours at a 7-Eleven going, Marble! Marble! Cigarettes! Smokey Smokey! You only speak English! How the fuck did you get this job? I should have shot your ass in Dene when I had the chance! You know, Jason, I listen to yeah. it and you don't hear tentativeness. No, you don't. You that, hear a guy who's up there in command of the audience and he was a nobody at the time. Yeah, it is filthy. I mean, he it's filthy. <laughs> it's filthy and it's off color. You know, yeah, it's off color. That, some that of those things filthy. are right. are the product of the mid 80s. Yeah, you know, that that was right. the, the style of comedy. And I don't want to get into a whole rant about whether or not he would be canceled if he existed in the modern era. But it, it certainly is what it is. But, but show your, it with all its blemishes. Your point about tentativeness is exactly right. You just you just don't see really young people go up and. and and just crush it with all that confidence like you heard Sam do. And that's what he became famous for as this guy who got up and just screamed, obviously, but did so in a way that was just irreverent and didn't give a damn what people thought. And we see that in the, in the, comedy, in the, in the comments that we heard about how he just got up and he said what he was going to say. He, and he didn't care if the audience really dug it or not. He just wanted to say it and he thought it was funny. Yeah, it and was. the screaming was cogent. He was very bright. I yes. mean, this was a guy who, when he went on those rants, it was sort of Dennis Miller-esque. You know, he had a yeah. very large vocabulary, so the rants were sort of the fun to see him just get on one. A New York Times review called Kinnison, quote, savagely misogynistic and said he specialized in a grotesque animalist howl that might be described as the primal scream of the married man. It sounds offensive, but it also made him intriguing and interesting at the time. And these were different times, as I said, with different comedic sensibilities. So you have to sort of review it in that context. I think it's funny for the New York Times to call him misogynistic and then say that these are the primal screams of a married man. There's a <laughs> level there of misogyny be- in, yes. in the comment. From there, Sam became sort of an iconoclastic rock star on the comedy circuit, including frequent appearances on late night shows like David Letterman. Network television debut on this program a few months back, and we're just now recovering from the initial shock. Now, if you're brave enough, he can be seen in person this week at Caroline's right here in Manhattan. Please welcome, and hang on to something, 
Sam Kinison. Sam! We got it all in. I missed the Super Bowl. It was in the air. But uh, the uh, Patriots lost, huh? It could be worse. Ask Mondale. Ah! <laughs> he knows how they feel. He would often tour with an accompanying band, and his Corvette had a vanity plate that read X-Rev to play off his preaching background. Listening to the performances gave the sense of being at a foul-mouthed sermon in a megachurch. He even got into a fight with Slash at a hotel after Slash missed an appearance at one of his shows. Slash said Kinnison nearly, quote, choked him to death before his Guns N' Roses bandmate, Duff McKagan, intervened. No charges were ever filed, but that wouldn't be very rock and roll. Yeah, and this is why you compared him to Andrew Dice Clay, because those are the two guys who, you know, had a persona. They wore all black. You know, Sam Kinison would wear the, the do-rag on his head. They were rock stars and comedians at the same time. You think of comedians like Louis C.K., they're they're a little bit more interior. And interior, interior, right, yes. Uh, that was not Sam Kinison, to say the least. And then there was the substance abuse, and it's impossible to talk about Kinnison's meteoric rise to the rock star of the comedy world without also talking about his drug and alcohol habits. Kinnison quickly developed a cocaine and booze habit and even freebase for a while, but his brother Bill moved to Los Angeles to help get things under control. And it worked for a while. Kinnison was able to harness his energy and translate it into success in entertainment. At his peak, he was rubbing elbows with rock stars like Guns N' Roses. We talked about that Slash story. And he was also in movies like Rodney Dangerfield's Back to School in 1986, a nod to the big break he got from Dangerfield years earlier on the HBO special. And even when he had the drugs under control, Kinnison was impulsive and lived life in the fast lane. Just six days before his death, he married dancer Malika Suiri at the Candlelight Chapel in Las Vegas, and the couple honeymooned in Hawaii for five days before returning to Los Angeles on April 10th to prepare for his sold-out show that night at the Riverside Resort Hotel and Casino in Laughlin, Nevada. The cruel irony of Kinison's death is that none of the most reckless behaviors had anything to do with his death. This is not a Chris Farley or an Amy Winehouse situation where friends and family watch the steady decline of an addict towards a seemingly inevitable tragedy. Kinison lived life hard and fast, but he was ultimately killed not by his own vices catching up with him, but as a result of another person deciding to get behind the wheel after having too much to drink. Comedy club owner Bud Freeman commented on the irony of Sam's death due to another person's drunk driving, which we talked about earlier, at precisely the moment when the comedian was trying to get his life back on track. Here's Sam, who's left this uh, wild life, you know, sober as can be, driving along, minding his own business, and uh, whammo, two drunk kids come out and uh, and slam into him. It's a, it's a horrible horrible thing. You know, Jason, we haven't done one of these in a while, but I thought Sam Kinison was a perfect time to do a counterfactual because Sam Kinison at 38 years old when he died in that car crash was still in his prime. Um, and his particular brand of crude, hyper verbose ranting comedy would have carried him a long way in the early and late 90s. So it's sort of easy to imagine Sam Kinison being part of the comedy scene alongside giant acts like Andrew Dice Clay and his dirty nursery rhymes, which you mentioned. He, he was just such a unique figure, uh, you know, kind of Axl Rose, kind of uh, Rodney Dangerfield. And he was equally comfortable in a room full of comedians as a room full of rock stars. And nobody has really filled that 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 void since. Yeah, you're right. The big comedians today are much more introspective, much internal, I think the word you used. And that that's that's true. We just don't see these over the top comedians at least reach the pinnacles of fame like Kinnison did. 
he'd also have to eventually become a victim. He may have become a victim, I should say, of changing social mores and values. Even at the time, his comedy was branded as deeply misogynistic and homophobic. How would he navigate cancel culture? It's hard to even imagine Sam Kinison navigating Well, you have to wonder. He was, to your point, really, really smart. And a lot of comedians are good ones. But he was super smart. I wonder if he could have tinkered with it. I don't think this is all he had. I, I like to think that he could have brought something different to the table. I'm sure he could have. The question is, would the old sort of, you know, what he said in the past, the old comedy routines have come back to haunt him. I think for a while, from 2018, when Me Too really strikes, up until maybe 2021, 22, when it sort of started to dissipate, he may have been in a tough way. But I think now, you know, Louis C.K. is bigger than ever, right? You're right, you're right. Chappelle says whatever he wants about Jews, transgender people, whatever he wants, and he's the biggest comedian in the world. You're right. Kinison's interesting. Because of that Pentecostal preacher background, it's not entirely clear what his value system was. In in some sense, rock stars seem like progressive, right? They seem at the height of liberal and and excess, but he also had that church background. And even in 1991, before his death, the Queer Nation Nebraska protested outside his show in Lincoln, and they chanted, anti-woman, anti-gay, Sam Kinison, go away. So some of this uh, controversy about Sam Kinison actually existed during his lifetime. It's not just cancel culture, but, you know, so, so, sort of the younger generations, it's hard to see yeah, them smiling. How's the woke on, generation? How do the kids that we work with, how do they react to the Sam Kinison's of the world? It's undeniably funny and comedians seem to be able to get away with things that nobody else can. I wonder if Kinison could have sort of ridden that wave and actually made it work for him. Yeah. I mean, it, it is just hard to say it was, he was quite young and you're right. He was very smart and adaptable. You know, the me too era, he would have had some issues that might've come up in 2011, according to DNA testing on his brother. Sam was also found to have fathered a child with the wife of his best friend, Carl Lebove, who was none the wiser and had been paying child support for 13 years and you could imagine that coming up as a sort of expose in, yeah. in, in sort of oh, the way we treat these things. Although at the time, of course, he was a substance abuser. He was heavily intoxicated all the time. I think there would have been some leeway granted to him for those reasons. But at the same time, I don't want to gloss over kind of his, his resume. It's not something that's easily palatable in today's world, especially the homophobia. You know, I think that's that it's hard to come back from that kind of stuff. We haven't seen hardcore homophobics uh, uh, you know, weather that storm, weather that storm. Right. I, I agree completely. Exactly. And look, you know, as I mentioned, the stand up world is a very tight knit community. So I wanted to give the final word on Sam Kinison to a fellow comedian, Bob Saget. Saget told a story on Joe Rogan's podcast about Kinison being discovered by Rodney Dangerfield for that HBO comedy special with Saget's trademark sensitivity and wit. I thought it was a fitting way to close this podcast. Kinison, he saw Sam and I love this guy. So I do the Young Comedian special on HBO. I had a great set right before Sam. I had a 15-minute set. Sam had a 15-minute set. I was in it for three and a half minutes. Sam was in it for 15 minutes <laughs> because it was it was a monumental. Was it was, and then a year later, he was in back to school. Yeah. So that's why it was a three-year deal. Yeah.